Hi guys and welcome to the show. My name is Akim Bobola and today our guest on the show is Ifoma. Ifoma is the founder of Shecluded. Shecluded is a financial inclusion company that is focused on providing women with access to credit, financial education and advisory in order to help them achieve sustainable growth in their careers and in their business. Ifoma's years of experience in business development, product development, operations, and seed investing. Welcome, Ifoma. Thank you very much. So, um, how are you coping with all that is going on right now in Nigeria, in the world, with the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, um, I think for me, it's been a period of looking inwards to say, how do I develop myself, my family, my work, you know, basically. So, yeah, I've been able to come out with, like, learning learning um, outcomes for them in terms of um, what we can do better as a company. We've also taken advantage of the fact that, I mean, this point in time, a lot of people will be online and we've um, used that to our advantage in terms of how we portray ourselves. So yeah, it's been, it's not been business as usual, but we've tried to maximize the opportunities available in these times. Okay, so it's uh, more like you actually done some inward reflection and um, gotten a chance to realign your strategy. Yes. Then for a company, we've um, noticed, I mean, like, whenever there's a, a bad outcome, I always try to look at the good side. The good side is that a lot of people are online right now. So in terms of our pipeline, our pipeline has grown by over 2,500 just within this period. And that's because we're very strategic about it to see. So even if we're not going to be doing as much business as we used to do because of the risk involved, we can actually get more people to us. And that's, that has actually been our strategy. Oh, that's, that's interesting. That's really nice. So you have uh, a larger audience and um, during this time, you're just trying to share any resources that you think would help them. Yes. Okay, great. Um, So tell us about uh, your journey. What what has been your journey like? So I always tell people that, you know, you know how everybody says that these days they want to be an entrepreneur. I never for one day dreamt of being an entrepreneur. Um, I started my career with PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. I was in marketing. From there, I moved to uh, business improvement, basically consulting. And I loved it there. Um, after a while, I'd always wanted to have a master's. You know how like, I've always felt that just having an additional edge in everything you do, especially your career, it's very, very good. So I know that my first attempt for master's was that I applied to um, African University. Um, um, and I got in for a program in, I applied for financial mathematics and I got in. And when we got there, I found out that it was a modular program, you know, um, to bring scientists from the best scientists from all over the world and try to train them and give them to PhD to be able to make a change in Africa. 
So I was there for six months. After a while, I was like, gosh, I don't think I want to do PhD. <laughs> so I dropped out and I came back to, um, to PwC. Then I got a scholarship. I went, for Lancaster. I went to Lancaster and I came back. And that was at the beginning of, or oh, that was when I found tech. I mean, I just got to know about tech industry. Um, Jason and Joko had raised money from Tiger Global at that time. So my friends from PwC, I think PwC did some work with them. My friends had moved there and they asked me to come and join the team. And it was head of analytics uh, strategy and I loved it. So from Iroko, I moved to Slim Trader Inc. Um, from Slim Trader Inc., um, I moved to Sasware. Sasware was a seed funding company, technology seed fund. I think I liked the idea that well, I had been in this company as uh, management staff for looking for funding. So this was an opportunity for me to be on the other side as then giving out the funding. So I loved that idea. So I went to Sasware. I was in Sasware for four years. And something that struck me was the fact that while we were there, I, we kept on receiving applications for um, seed investment from companies. I mean, like even from very, from ideas that, you know, <laughs> I would term ridiculous. And they were not, was there any female? Like, no, um, they were all for men. So it got me worried because I was saying, like, I know a lot of women doing different stuff. And that's how I stumbled upon, I started researching about women and funding and uh, what I can do to make it better. Because, I mean, I grew up, I was nine when my dad passed and my mom was 27 at the time. And I was the first of four children. So I saw my mom evolve from a primary school teacher to a business owner. So I've always known firsthand the impact of having more women um, be financially aware or financially active in their life. So yeah. That was how she included the spawn, basically. That's quite a journey. <laughs> yeah, it's a journey. Like, I always tell people that, you know, you know, when I meet people and they say, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to be do this, I want to do that. I'm always like, see, take it easy. You know, like, make life direct you. As in, know where you want to be. I've always known that I want to be in a position to give back to more people. I'd never thought about it to be women. And frankly, I consider myself, so um, I went to FUTO. My first degree was FUTO. I, I have a major in mathematics. I have a master's in advanced math, sort of. So basically all my career and all my educational wise, I've always been working with men. So I'd never for one day thought that I would be doing something exclusively with women. That never crossed my mind. <laughs> so in the process of starting, she included, or rather in the process of running it, uh, what trends have you seen in terms of the kinds of businesses that women start? So, um, learnings from running included basically for me has been one is that um, more women need to move from survival mode to growth mode. So, whenever like it looks like the driver for starting a business most times for more for many women, you know, is um, I want to do something to make money and it looks like six years from now they're still in that mood do you get what i mean yeah i get so it's always never aspiring to grow you know i meet a woman she's run she's running a business for like six years or for like four years and i ask how much is your monthly revenue and she says hundred thousand and i'm like you, you don't look worried so yeah that's one thing that taught me 
it has also taught me the top sector. So the sector right now, the sector classification of where you work in, for what sector are you in? If you were to classify a lot of women, they will be screwed into two sectors in their bid to struggle to fit into one of the sectors. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. So if you were to classify, maybe you classify most women, like 90% of them as retail. But just by working in Shecluded and running Shecluded, I found out that, I mean, for us, that's not good insight. So we had to break it down to like, you know, retail human hair, retail Instagram, retail dropshipping, you know, just different stuff. And we've been able to see similarities, basically, like just gather more insights just by being focused on women. So it's uh, like the focus is really narrow based on what you've seen in terms of um, the kinds of industries that they're starting businesses in or running businesses in. Yeah, so from what I've seen, from what our data, it's um, basically um, retail, different size or types of retail. We've also seen manufacturing and it's something that really struck us in terms of small-scale manufacturing, where we're beginning to motivate more of them to start saying, go for a commercial NAFDAQ license. And after commercial NAFDAQ license, we're still saying, what if you can have a distribution plan so that you can be in different places? Just, you know, all those. Um, then what else? We've seen, like, a lot of things that, I mean, before I started, I didn't know they were careers. Like, you know, like makeup artists, <laughs> stylish <laughs> um, photographer yeah like you know so if you were brought up like me in the structured world of engineering science and everything you know just by looking at some of these women you say how can I get a job like seriously but yeah I mean if we if, if you're running something like secluded and you keep getting a lot of them and they're saying oh I'm a makeup artist and they sit with a straight face I mean you have to listen <laughs> and yeah and it's been very insightful to know that I mean as much as you don't know so how would I put it? Many people, that like you're not in that sector doesn't mean that it's not profitable. Yeah, there are a lot of um, sectors that have people quietly making their money and, you know, not making too much noise. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not just yeah. the noise. It's the fact that a lot of women are pioneers in sectors that I'm sure in the next five, ten years that they will be mainstream. Do you get what I mean? Yes. Yes. But you know, like, because they are pioneers and most of the time they are women and most of the time, you know, many people are not paying attention. It always looks like a hobby. But yeah, I mean, for us, because um, of what, because of our experiences and because we see some of the data, we see some of the the financials and stuff, we kind of like, we're paying attention. Let's see how you go. We're learning from it. We're learning from it. Yeah. So looking at the seed investing space right now, do you think that there are enough um, enough seed investing companies uh, either focusing on women or uh, trying to encourage women to raise seed investing right now? So on my own part... Just from, I mean, we've raised, we've raised, um, and we have another offer on the table. So we are raising $300,000. And what I can say in terms of seed investment, and I think there's a lot of lip service 
frankly, ongoing. You know, a lot of people, you know, the whole inclusiveness is in. I mean, this is the generation of inclusiveness. I mean, yeah. research and everything. It just looks good to invite women to the table. So I know that there's a lot of lip service going in, going on. But in terms of seed investment generally in the space of Nigeria, I think what I have realized is that there are so many seed investors that are not termed seed investors. Do you get what I mean? I mean, the people we raised the money from, we didn't even know that. They're they're nobody that you know. They're just individuals and they're companies that are looking to invest. And I mean, when they looked at us and they said, hey, what with you? We like what you're doing. Then that's one conversation. So there are a lot of people that when they are approaching seed investment in tech or in anything, they tend to look at the seed investors that people know. But there is a bigger audience that are seed investors that that definitely don't have those labels. So have that in mind, basically, when you're operating. Then on the other angle, in terms of women and seed investment, I mean, how did I land in Shikluded? I landed in Shikluded because, I mean, when I was running a seed investment company, I wanted to invest in women. So I reached out to a number of women and said, hi, I want to put money and take equity. And I noticed that, wait a minute, I mean, these people were being stingy or they didn't want to give out much equity. And um, it it was a learning. So it so that one angle is the investor angle. The second angle is getting more people ready, getting more 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 people aware, getting more people excited about seeking investment to their um, companies. That's a good um, it's a good insight. Uh, although some of it is not very it's not very encouraging, but at least. Yeah, you're trying to uh, kind of balance um, the trend to make sure that more women have access to these um, investments. Yeah, it will. It will. I feel that over time, you know, like I was in a gender lens um, focus group, um, and there's something that came out to me. It means that. I mean, with time, the data will show for itself. I mean, a key thing that I know that is missing is more success stories by women companies. And that's what we hope to do with Shikluded. So it's to actually show people that, you know, having a vision executed, basically. I know that, you know, with the role that women play in the society and everything, it can be a distraction to them getting to where you want to go. But they eventually, if you know what they're, if they know what they are doing, and you know, with so many factors in place, they can actually get there. Do you get what I mean? Because I know for investments and to make the case for more investments in women companies, it has to go beyond being emotional about it to saying hi. I always typically expect 10x returns or 100x returns. Can you give me that returns? Do you get what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah, as, as more. The numbers have to speak for themselves. Yes, the numbers have to speak for themselves. And it will in the next couple of years, basically. I mean, it's, it's just a new field. I mean, I was seeing the data, even in places like America, about the number of women that get investment, not talking of places like in Nigeria. So as more women begin to get more investment, whether because some companies are guilty or they feel the guilt or the need to invest in them, in the next couple of years, it will be very clear that there will be um, evidence and there will be success stories to share that we encourage more to happen. But yeah, we are making progress and we'll keep making progress. 
Yeah, progress. Uh, progress is very important, and also being able to track and present that progress to people is important. Yeah, that's very, very, that's very, very important too. Uh, another question I have would be, how do you get uh, women who are running businesses to go from thinking short-term to thinking long-term in terms of uh, business growth, in terms of scaling their businesses? Uh, how, how, would you, how would you do that? How would you advise them to change how they look at um, the business? So I think with um, just by talking to a lot of women and stuff, I feel that there's always, it starts from the mind. So there is a mental mindset of not being too ambitious that um, many women hold subconsciously, but they don't know. So, I mean, for us at Shikunet, what we, if you've been following our page on, um, I mean, we're more active on Instagram. You notice that we try to, so, and just by one, the one-on-one meetings that we typically have, we typically make the conversation from, I mean, people can come to us about a business problem and we end up discussing about where do you want to go to? So let me give you an example. I mean, a lot of women come to meet me and they say, oh, I've been doing this and big business for XX years and it's not been very successful and I want to move to yogurt business. And I say, okay, that's fine. Fantastic. Okay, let's start from the end. How much do you want to be making every month? And they say something like, I mean, something modest, let's say 500, 1 million. And I say, okay, so how much do you want to sell your yogurt? And they give me a figure, maybe um, 1,000. I'll say, okay, so for you to make um, 1 million and you want to sell your yogurt at um, 1,000, it means you have to sell 1,000 piece. And by the time we start discussing about her plans, you know, I mean, some of them, by the time we start discussing about the plans, you'll be like, oh, so we want to start from the kitchen, then we'll be making it. So I don't see anything about machineries there. And I'm like, oh, you want to start making it? Say yes. So you want to make 1,000 piece of yogurt manually and they start looking at me and I say okay so how do you want to distribute this then I say church friends and family and I say do you have 1,000 church friends and family that why don't you think about getting a NAFDAQ license do you get what I mean so it's the fact that you know starting small they always remain at that point and I'm like okay do you know you know if you have a NAFDAQ license you can actually send this to like different supermarkets and that number is achievable so having conversations with that and having conversations with women, and even for me as a woman, I realized that everything all starts from the mindset. The mindsets want to scale. The mindsets want to do more. And sometimes, you know, it's, um, it's, as soon as you get it figured out in your mind and you want more, you want to do more, and you know why you definitely want more, then every other thing follows, basically. Yeah, so listening to... What you just said about uh, them mentioning friends and family, like, uh, I mean, friends and family can't take up most of the demand anyway. You need to actually have more distribution channels. Yeah, so that's the point. You get what I mean? So for you to have more distributions, it means you need to have thought about things like, you know, um, 
um, do I need to be registered in NASDAQ? How many supermarkets around my areas and stuff? So during that whole one-on-one session where we have it with them, I noticed that that is what is many of the time, like that holistic, um, how do I scale kind of thought is missing in the conversation most times. Could it be, could it be fear? I think it's, I think it's modesty. <laughs> yeah, I think for lack of a better word, I think it's modesty, you know. So, yeah, it's modesty. And, um, yeah, I think that's what it is. Because at the end of the day, when we finish having that conversation, they're like, wow, I never thought about it. Wow, this can be bigger. And for some of them, they actually take it like a, a step, a notch higher. Do you get? Yeah. So, yeah. I would say a way to actually test uh, demand without um, having to register with NAFDAQ or something is to make uh, very efficient use of online channels to kind of create awareness about your product and then make use of uh, delivery services to deliver direct to people's homes um, yeah, that that sounds like a good idea, but I would not. You would not sell. So if you're not in the in the food and the beverage space, it's very easy. You cannot sell NAFDAQ, non-NAFDAQ approved stuff beyond a certain level of the people that know you. Because I mean, my sister used to have a juice business. You know, fantastic juice business. When I used to work in UBA Towers, I mean, it was 17th floor. So I brought her in. But as soon as I left, and while she was trying to expand into like hotels and everything, everybody asks where's your NASDAQ. So just setting up the Instagram page and delivering it—that's not the problem. Except you want to sell retail. So if you always think about manufacturing in Nigeria. And with the profit margins of manufacturing, you always have to be thinking on the top level as an entrepreneur, which is distribution. So you're, if you keep, if you, as a manufacturer in Nigeria, if your focus is on how many, you know, that's for Instagram, one person come to order, one person deliver, you're going to lose steam. It's always about the numbers. How do I get Ebano to sell 500,000 of um, this 10 or whatever, whatever numbers from there? How do I get X supermarket to be able to dispose this? It saves you the stress. It keeps you focused on your core, which is manufacturing yogurt and coming up with new products that sell. If you start going through that route, you're going to think about, your route is describing you thinking about owning the whole value chain. And there's a reason why manufacturers don't do that. There are some manufacturers that try to own most of the value chain, but distribution bits, they, they don't try to own it so that it doesn't drag on them. Yeah, for my advice for any small-scale manufacturer is like focus on your core. I mean, if all you get is doing your product and your product is very good and coming up with new innovative products and you find a very strong um, distribution network you're good but if you don't have enough capital and you're trying to do it and to own i mean i've seen like yogurt brands even here on the island that try to do um i high sell from their own um look and feel brand i've seen them quickly i've seen the successful ones quickly um dissolve to start saying you know what (laughs) i think i need more distribution 
because that's just like extra marketing to start bringing people in. That's extra different stuff that you you can save yourself. You can save you can save yourself that stress and just focus on products and marketing and and just be everywhere. Do you have any uh, of your uh, any of the businesses you've invested in that maybe you would like to just share some some details about probably how you you were able to help them scale? You mean invested or giving loans to? Uh, either either one. Okay, so let me look for the ones that I like. Okay, so I think that I will start from one individual that I like. So um, there's this lady that, I mean, the first time when we started, um, she worked, she used to work at LCC. Um, and I mean, one day she approached us and said, hey, hi, we saw you. One started taking loans. And she started by taking 50000 She paid back 100000 and she paid back. And one day out of the blues, she sent us an email and said, hey, I want to have a conversation. And she came in and she said, hi, I've been working in XXX um, at the Toolgate for over four years. I have four kids. I can't do this anymore. I've been selling makeup on the side and I want to now own my own space. And it was, it was a funny conversation because I mean, when I asked her, how much do you need? And she said 800,000. I was hesitant at first, but I mean, she looked ready and we gave her the loan. And I mean, as of today, she has paid back all her loan. And she has a store in Aja. And, you know, like when I think about her life, her life and how she, as in when I think about her income, I mean, then she was earning 60000 How much did they pay in LCC? Yeah. And when I think about her, how much she earns over, four, she makes over 400000 now. So when I think about the fact that, I mean, this would not have happened. I am motivated to say that we're doing something very well. Then we have like um, biscuit brands. So there's one um, lady that owns a biscuit brand. Um, she, I mean, somebody referred her to us because she just got her commercial license from NASDAQ. And she said, oh, I want to, I have a commercial license. So now I can, I can have my biscuit all over Nigeria. I didn't even know that there was a non-commercial license and a commercial license in terms of food. Uh, so yeah, so... I mean, we were able to give her money. And the next thing that I saw, she said, oh, her product is in Edo State. Her product is in Delta State. Her product is in... Like, I, I think I was, I was impressed. And it gave me firsthand the, the, what's it called? The impact of, you know, just being able to assess funding and how far I can go. You know, for you, it looks like it's um, not... Um, very important but for for them it changed their life so I can also like there are a lot of them that just by having funding and for some of them I know that um, just by talking to them we're like hi you need cheaper money this money is expensive for you and they're like wow you know and just by talking to some of them we're like hi your strategy right now you're going to burn out in the next two years why don't you do it this way and this way so it's not just the fund per se, it's having that extra skillful, um, that extra channels to be able to assess advisory for your business in a way that you are comfortable with. That makes us very unique. And being able to have insights to say, so this person did this thing, I feel. I think that 
you have to be careful about it if you want to take the same decision. So your team is able to provide uh, insights based on the research that you've done and also able to uh, do like reviews of the business to see if there are, if there are like any gaps that the business owner is not seeing. Yes. So for us, our goal is growth. So if you look at what we call ourselves, we say growth finance company. So our goal is, you know, like when we work with clients, I always tell them that if all you get from us is a, you got the less part. So our goal is always growth. So when um, we work with you, we try to always go out of our way to understand your business, understand your sectors, and look for insights that can actually make you more. Yeah, that's that's very good, actually. Um, encouraging them to not just look at, uh, I take this loan and I repay it and I disappear. More of bringing your team in as a partner to to be there for, for a longer time by offering equity in exchange for funding, seed funding? Uh, no, so in terms of equity for funding, I don't, we haven't gotten to that part. Oh, so okay. as, a company, as a company, we it's something that we, um, we like the idea. I mean, when we started, that idea, that was a thought process that we had. But frankly, I mean, just trying to figure out... Um, we are just trying to figure out credits and then trying to figure out what are the needs and the gaps we spot to evolve over time to what we think that the market. What do you, what do you think banks are doing? Like, uh, what, do you, what do you think they should be doing for uh, women-led businesses? Because uh, research has shown that uh, women tend to pay back their loans compared to men. Uh, I mean, people have argued. People have argued that that data is good because of the number, the sample size. And frankly, do I think that that is the truth? Mm, I don't think so. I think for us, with men and with women, so many things affect why they don't pay back their loans. But something that banks can do is. So I always keep. I'm always driving in the conversation of what can banks do. And I mean, just from a very, very objective, I mean, I, from a very, very objective point of view, I feel that the best things that banks can do is to work with people like us. Because for banks, I mean, if I run a bank, for instance, women is just a fraction of what I do. Do you get? I do other things that are very, very strategic and that are very, very, that I do so many other products that women are inclusive of. So most times when we have this conversation of what else could banks do, I notice that I've seen a lot of them evolve into women's banking, women's community, and I notice and I know that they're doing a lot. If they want to do some more, I feel it's just that saying, is there a way that we can structure some sort of partnerships with more people that are doing, more non-banks, to be able to make this um, inclusion faster? But in terms of our bank doing something now, yes, they are. I've noticed, like, I've seen a lot of initiatives from banks and I've seen them pushing to make it happen. But yes, to make it faster, they might have to work with a number of non-banks. So what do you think um, is the role of... Do you think technology has a role in helping female-led businesses or even all businesses scale? 
technology is like view. I mean, like this whole COVID nineteen stuff has also shown us that you know tech is the future. Leave it or take it. No matter what you want to do. I mean, I've had meetings and I've been able to have um, insights with um, a lot of people that I know that have said um, let's meet um, physically. It will have been one protocol to another, or it will have just, you know, by the time we find time in our calendars to make that happen, it will have just never happened. But with this whole stuff, like I've had meetings, I've had uh, focus groups, I've had um, live video people that um, I typically would not or would have to stress myself to have it. So technology is in. In terms of growing um, different stuff, I mean, just on our page, for example, on Instagram, we've had feedback with people saying, oh, I never thought about this like this, or this is very insightful, or saying, hi, well, this, I will implement this in my business. So technology plays a very, very key role in scale. In whatever business, wherever you are, I mean, technology just, I mean, technology is, I, for us right now, like technology, anything you cannot put in technology. So, you know, we've, the number of our one-on-one advisory has skyrocketed now. And it has just occurred to us that maybe we need to start doing online courses and frequently asked questions so that to start, people can take it. Like, if you want to scale right now in the world, you have to pay attention to your technology. That's just what it is. Yeah, I would say that um, technology has also helped my business. Uh, you know, we're a software development company and we're remote first. So as much as possible, we tried to uh, make all our communications and meetings online. Um, and that has helped us because we've not lost uh, any business during this time compared to other kinds of more traditional um, businesses that have lost a lot of customers, lost a lot of revenue. I'd say our revenue has even increased during this time because more people are now requesting for uh, technology services and we don't have to go to them go to their um, go to their offices or something we can just have a meeting online and close the deal and get to work without actually meeting them in person so it's been it's been yeah technology is very very key in uh, scaling in this current modern world. Yeah, I agree with you. And it also helps you to scale globally as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so still, still on uh, banks. Well, not banks per se, but companies that offer loans what do you think about the loan industry right now? Like, considering that you, your your business offers loans as well, what do you think about the industry? Do you think um, do you think there are some practices that people are doing that are not right, or do you think the the industry is fine and there are no issues? So for me, I think that I mean. One, I feel that, you know, like with most things in Nigeria, everything is short term. Everybody tries to play short term. 
So I know that um, typically, so I studied math first degree and I know how to play the numbers game in a way that I'm very, very safe. And our loan size, our typical average loan size is like one million. Like, um, and that's because one, we are focused on, I mean, 92% of our clients are basically like um, SME, female uh, businesses. So I've noticed that what I noticed in the loan sector right now in Nigeria is that it's growing. One, I noticed that a lot of people are here to, um, a lot, I noticed a lot of credit literacy is missing. So, I mean, when we talk to a few women about, you know, that talk to us about loans and stuff, I say, hey, hi. So I noticed you have a loan pending, etc. Now say, yes, I took um, 5,000 naira. And they said I'm supposed to pay uh, 1,000 naira. So I'm paying back 6,000 after two weeks. And I'm like, you know that that is um, almost like 40% a month. So, I mean, because it's more, it's like, oh, I, ju- I just took 5,000. I'm going to pay 1,000. It always looks like it's nothing. But if you increase that number, that's like saying you took 5 million from somebody. And after two weeks, you're going to pay 6 million. So it begins to make an ethical question about it. But again, I mean, it is what it is. It's the fact that people have to mark up for their risk. So for us, we always try, like, we've been on this conversation as a team to say, should we do um, consumer lending, uh, charge uh, industry rates? And it's always, I mean, we brought a consultant from one of the firms, successful firms, to come to um, help us be more, um, profitable and part of their recommendation is that oh we need to do this we need to do this by 2030 my gosh and um, i already feel um that we our goal where we started was to be lower and i mean this recommendation is telling us to be higher as a business so it's just balancing that profit versus caring for the people that you actually work with that i think that is that we can structure it in a way that is a win-win for everybody and that's what, as a company, that we are struggling with and we are improving on it. You know, I also have been offered those kind of loans. And uh, it is scary. I just see the offer and I'm like, no way, I'm not taking this. Um, I, I know that GT Bank is doing something around not charging very high loans, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say it's still high for a lot of people. But one one practice I've noticed is what happens when someone is not able to pay the loan. And what I've noticed is a lot of these lending services start to send messages to the person's contacts. And it's so scary how how that happens and you know, the way, the way they word the messages that they send, they make it look like the person has committed some massive crime. Yes, you have committed a massive crime if you don't pay for your loan. It is what it is. I mean, like, <laughs> well, it's, no, so again, no apologies. You know, there's different thing that, let's say, I mean, things happen and you're unable to meet your commitment. I feel that as an adult, a responsible adult, you should actually notify the company on time or when they notify you you respond with something very tangible say hi i'm working on this i'll get it sorted as soon as possible a lot of those companies don't offer a means of notifying them 
Uh, you don't offer a means of notifying them. How did you get the money? I mean, there has to be an email, there has to be a phone number, there has to be a physical office. Hello. Oh, so just the regular contact channels at the company. Yeah, so you, I mean, that contact channel, you, I mean, you follow the contact channel, you get to where you're going to. It is what it is. Do you get what I mean? So I understand <laughs> that I mean, being on that path, you might think that, oh, it's extreme. But being on this path, I know that sometimes it's not extreme. I mean, think about it. So for someone like us that we're trying to say, our goal most times is to be able to balance uh, value and profit. It means that we don't have the liberty of having um, a very large default um, portfolio. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. So yes, even if you're showing up in your house or something. like. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, like um, it's, it's easier said but I mean, if you you can avoid it, and anything you can avoid is in your power to make it not happen. Yeah, so it's like um, it's just because of the risk involved in. Yes, the risk. Mm. Okay, I just I just wanted to have your thoughts on that because uh, I've noticed a lot of people uh, complaining about that. If they complain about it, they should pay their loans. you know i can't pay right now so i think that's another part of literacy that needs to be um that needs to be shared hi i can't pay pay my loans right now what are my options dear xxx your options are one defer payment by one month and ask to be charged the interest for this month two my options are get another re um another payment plan based on um, this current whatever, whatever. Yes. Don't just leave it open and it's, um, it's a business and it's somebody's livelihood. And uh, what you mentioned about financial illiteracy, uh, people don't know that taking a loan, a lot of people don't know that taking a loan and not paying it back uh, actually affects your credit and um, it can even get to a point where if the loan is large enough, the institution that is uh, trying to recover their money can actually use the CBN to get their money back. I think it's the fact that people don't understand that for Nigeria, we're going into a stage where it will basically be like the West. You know how you want to buy an iPhone in America? You just go in the mobile stores and you sign up with a twenty pounds, um, twenty pounds for twenty-four months um, phone, and you just go away with your phone. Yeah. Or you want to buy a fridge, and you go into a store and you buy and you take a fridge, and you're able to pay over the period of time at a very discounted. So it's sort of like a credit economy. People don't realize that that's where Nigeria, as our financial institution matures, we will get there. So before we even get there, a lot of people are blowing their chance of even being, being opportuned for that type of rights. So it's always a good idea to make sure that your credit, um, your credit history is very good. One, because you are a very, very um, responsible uh, person of integrity. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that <laughs> and because, because of the prospect so think about that you want to raise funding tomorrow and you know you sound very believable and one of your investors says you know what let's make how believable he is and let's check your credit rating 
and they see that you have like five different loans you haven't paid. If I'm that investor, that deal is off the table. And people underestimate the fact that investors, so someone like me, if I'm going to invest in a company or when I'm going to invest in a company, I'm actually going to do that check. Because there's some people that come to take loans from us and we look at their credit history and I'm like, wow, okay, this person is not as credible as they look. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, due diligence. Yeah, yeah it's just Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so how, how do people like get started with secluded uh let's say they're interested and they want to get a loan for their business how how do they get started and what's the process so we have like? a website i mean we have a website for now you can go to the website www.shikluded.com we have a very bubbling um community on instagram it's very very good to look at our community basically and you can learn a lot of things from uh, business to credit just things to help and if you ever want to ask us any question before you take i mean most women that we work with, some of them are first timers and we're happy and excited to hear the kind of questions they have and to be able to help them through it so yeah and uh, the typical process, how long does it last for, from the point of reaching out to you guys and signing up to getting the loan? So it depends on a lot of things, but I would say we typically try to keep it 24 hours. I know like there's a lot of get loans in five minutes. Mm-mm, mm-mm, we don't get loans in five minutes. We want to be able to, um, in some instances, we might ask you some questions about your business. In some instances, when we feel, when we look at the need for the loan, I mean, we've had people come to us for loans and we've looked at them and numbers and we say, hi, we think you can afford this or we think you can, you should ask the client to pay 30% to reduce your risk so that you don't take these loans. So, so it's, um, it's, it's, um, it's, we, don't just want to give you a loan. We want to be able to, our goal to give you a loan is for you to be able to do more. So we want to be able to answer some questions and put in place some things that will make you think about, does this actually help me do more? Okay, so getting to know more about their business and then giving your recommendations. Yeah. And then you leave them to decide if they still want the loan or not. Yes. Okay. Um, so I think the last thing I would ask about is for, for women that want to start a business today, what are some of the things you think they should be doing or some of the things they should be thinking about? So as a woman, if you want to, um, if you want to start a business today, one of the very key things you should be thinking about is why. You know, is it, um, so we've seen a l- number of people that just want to occupy. So basically it's a hobby. You need to define it. Is this a business or is this something to just keep me busy so that I'm not bored? So if you define that as a business, your step two will be how, um, how much do you want? So if you want to make uh, 100000 or if you want to make, so I feel that just having those conversations, just with working with women and having those conversations, it puts 
I mean, many of them in the middle of the conversation say, hey, I don't think that this is the business I should be doing if I want to make this money. And that's the position that typically I want to come from them because it gets them thinking. So think about how much you want to make. Then think about what you currently have in terms of your skills, in terms of your resources to start. Then think about the things you need and identify the gaps, you know, whether it's in terms of skills, in terms of resources, in terms of money and everything. Then I always, always recommend lean methodology. Start small. So start small, um, learn from it and, and think about goods fast. Then what we should include that. So another thing we do is that many women in these shoes, we have a lot number of them that we consult with. So we can also link you up to some of them and you know you can also share the same synergy and stuff. Okay, so those are those are very good um those are very good points and I'm sure anyone who follows those steps should be able to focus, should be able to build a business and you know a business that would actually stand the test of time um so uh any other thoughts you feel you should share with people anything you think people should know so final thoughts is um please um follow us on um follow us on our social media and we're always always welcome to feedback on how we evolve if you have any ideas for partnership or anything please reach out to me i'm always always interested on that then for everybody in tech trying to build something um i always remember that sometimes building good things take time um always start small, always scale fast. If you're looking for funding, sometimes it might just be that you're looking at the normal funding uh, gaps that are available. There are so many angel investors that typically don't have the label angel investors and look at them also for funding. If you've been trying something for a long time and it's not working, um, maybe it's time to step back a bit and um, just relax and look at it again. Then... Always, always, I'm very big on impact. I'm very big on making sure that you are not just all about money. Um, look out time to mentor people around you and to pull other people up. It's cheap, but it might just be priceless for them. So those are my final thoughts. Okay. So if you want to learn more about She Cluded, visit shecluded.com. That's S-H-E. C-L-U-D-E-D, shecluded.com. And you can also find them on social media by the same name, shecluded. Uh, thank you so much, Ifoma, for joining us today. Um, it's been nice having you. And uh, you've shared some very important lessons, important uh, advice for for women in business and I'll say pretty much anyone in business can actually make use of this advice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much because I always, so, I mean, the first time I I was talking to one of um, my professional uh, connections about starting she included, I remember the first thing he said that struck me and he's like, Oh, hi, you win plenty grants. And I was shocked. 
And I said, I don't get what does that mean? I said, you mean win plenty well? I said, no, I'm thinking of starting a finance company just like focus on women. And I want to be able to compete with, you know, the number one player in that space. And the only thing you can think about is that I will win plenty grants. I'm like, <laughs> when, did you, when did you water down my resume? I mean, I used to be, I used to head a company that you were coming to ask for funding. How did I all of a sudden start sounding like charity because I said I was going to do she couldn't? And it actually gave me an insight, a perception that, you know, just by running she couldn't, I've been seeing a lot of them. Do you get yeah, what I mean? It, it, it happens. Like, when, when you want to actually do something that, um, that would bring real impact, people start to feel like, oh, you're just in it. I don't know if it's- I don't know if it's something, if it's impact, or if it is because maybe I just say women. <laughs> or something like, I mean, for me, it made me a bit defensive. Um, you know, like, you know, see, I'm thinking about a profitable company. How will I leave all my experience and go around an NGO or something? And typically, so I'm not against any NGO, but I always feel like if I always want, if I want to have an NGO, I would like to be like, you know, be like Melinda Gates. So I have my own money and I'm using it to fund my own. But yeah, it gave me a perception of the way that people, or maybe in the past, we presented women as you know charity and not a very very strong business case. So I mean that um, that stayed with me for a while, and that also always stays with me whenever I'm presenting the work we do at Shikloda. So we are not a charity; we are a fintech designed for women. We um, feel that there is um, women as a consumer is a very, very big um, business for us. And that's what we're trying to crack. So thank you. Thank you, Bobola, for having me. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why we're here. That's why we're having this conversation. So that people don't assume that um, financial inclusion companies for women are just out there to... Um, collect grants that, uh-huh. that they are real businesses yeah. thank you so much um, hope to talk to you sometime soon maybe okay, you could you. share an update on uh, you know raising funding okay thank you thank you very much All bye right. yeah thanks bye <laughs>